It is day two of Daf Chav Pes. We are holding the Gemara on Daf Chav Pes. I'm on the left about 50 lines up from the bottom of the page. We've been discussing the first case in our Mishnah, the first of 10 or 11 stringencies of Kodesh over Truman, that you cannot dip one utensil in a mikvah when it is sitting inside another utensil. We had two reasons in the Amorim and the Tanaim why that might be the case. One reason was Rabbi La. Rabbi La told us because it might be a chatzitza, the weight of the inner utensil resting on the base of the outer utensil might create an interposition, a chatzitza, between the waters of the mikvah and the surface of the utensils. Rava said, no, that's not the reason that's covered by another case in the Mishnah. Rather, the reason here is because one utensil inside another is not always allowed. Because if the outer utensil is very small and the tube that connects the, that allows the water into the outer utensil is very, very narrow, smaller than a certain size, it's not kosher to allow the waters of the mikvah to connect with the water inside the utensil. And if you try and immerse a needle or something very small inside that outer utensil, it won't be kosher. And therefore we decree that you're not allowed to dip one utensil inside another, even if it's a larger utensil. That's what we learned, Rava and Rabbi Lo. The Gemara then said, what is the basis for differentiating between Kodesh and Truma? If these are the reasons, if these are the potential reasons for the stringency, surely the stringency should apply to Truma equally as it does to Kodesh. Why are we lenient with Truma and not with Kodesh? And the Gemara gave an answer after much discussion yesterday. The Gemara's answer was that when it comes to Kodesh, we're concerned that if we were not to prohibit immersing one utensil inside another, then an Amaretz might get confused and might think it's always allowed, and he might do it in a way that's not really allowed, either according to Rabbi La or according to Rava, and then he'll bring us Kodesh that's tummy, that's ritually impure, and we won't be able to reject it, because when it comes to Kodesh, we have to accept it, because all of the people who accepted Kodesh, sacrificial foods, were all Chaveirim, all all people who are particular about these laws, and therefore it would create enmity, it would create Ava between the people who are not so particular, the Amayorets, and the people who were particular. Whereas when it comes to Truma, Truma's okay, because even if an Amayorets would come and offer a Kohen who's a Chover, a Kohen who's particular about these laws, Truma, he would just say, I'm not going to accept it from you. And it wouldn't create enmity between the two groups, because the Kohen, the, the person who was an Amaretz, could just go and give his Truma to a Kohen who was an Amaretz, because not all the Kohanim were particular about these laws. There were Kohanim who were Amaretz as well, and therefore wouldn't create enmity. And that's the difference between Truma and Kodesh. So the Gemara says today, Uman Tan of the Chashla Who is the Tana of our Mishnah who is concerned for the possibility of enmity? Because the author of our Mishnah, by making this differentiation between Kodesh and Truma and establishing this law that you cannot dip one utensil inside another, is clearly concerned about the enmity that might be produced when someone brings Kodesh that is ritually impure. Who is that? Rabbi Yossi here. It's Rabbi Yossi. The Tanya is we learned in the following price. So, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, Why is anyone believed about the Tahara of wine and oil for sacrifices throughout the year? Why is any Jew, even an Amoritz, who brings wine or oil to the temple for offerings, why is he trusted to assert that wine or oil is Tahor, regardless of the time of year? It's out of a concern of the enmity that it would create if we were to reject those offerings. And what might happen is that each and every person, when he has those offerings rejected, will go and build a bummer for himself. That means a private altar, which is not actually permitted in most of Jewish history. It's forbidden to offer on a private altar. And he'll burn a paradumma for himself. In other words, he'll take matters into his own hands and he'll try and create his own sacrificial services. Because he'll say, you know what? If they're not going to accept my offerings, I'm going to go do my own thing. It will create enmity. And this is Rabiosi. Rabiosi is concerned for the enmity this would create. And therefore, Rabiosi must be the author of our Mishnah that we're concerned about enmity if we were to reject 
offerings, sacrificial offerings from Amayorites, from people who are not particular about the laws of Tum and Tara. The Gemara continues, Amar of Papa of Papa said, Who is it in accordance with that we accept nowadays testimony from an Amaretz? Kaman, who's it in accordance with? Krabiosi. It's again in accordance with the view of Rabiosi. Rabiosi is concerned for the possibility of enmity. By rights, we shouldn't accept testimony from an Amaretz. But nevertheless, because of the enmity that such a policy would create, we accept the testimony of an Amaretz. And that's the view of Rabiosi, who is concerned about enmity being created between Amaretz and Chaverim. The Gemara now turns to the distinction we made between Truma and Kodesh. We said you're allowed to immerse one utensil inside another for Truma because in any event we're not going to accept Truma from an Amaretz. The Gemara asks, and this is a question we'll begin today, we probably won't finish till tomorrow, the Gemara says, Why aren't we worried about a Chavar borrowing an Amaretz's utensils for Truma use? Why aren't we worried about borrowing? So the Gemara now continues to explain its question. When would a person borrow an Amaretz's utensils? When is that permitted? This none as we learned in the following Mishnah. It's a Mishnah in Adius. The Mishnah says, Kli cheres An earthenware vessel protects things from becoming Tommy. That's the view of Beis Hillel. On a biblical law level, it is true that an earthenware utensil protects that which is inside it from becoming Tommy, richly impure. For example, if an earthenware utensil is sitting under the same roof as a corpse, anything inside that earthenware utensil, if it's got a sealed roof on it, a sealed cover on it, does not become richly impure. Whether it's food, whether it's something else, it doesn't become richly impure. Similarly, if there's a corpse sitting on the ground floor of a house and there's a hole in the ceiling up into the second floor and there's an earthenware utensil sitting in between the two floors that creates a interposition it gets in between the two floors then also it protects that which is above the corpse from becoming richly impure and other way utensil prevents things from becoming richly impure that's the view of base hill it only protects certain things it protects foods from becoming richly impure it protects drinks from becoming richly impure and it protects other earthenware utensils from becoming richly impure but it does not protect non-earthenware utensils from becoming tummy. So Bishamay agree with Beis Hillel that it protects things, but they say it doesn't protect non-earthenware utensils. Only food, drinks, and earthenware utensils, but not non-earthenware utensils. So the dispute between Bishamay and Beis Hillel is whether earthenware utensils can protect non-earthenware utensils from becoming ritually impure. So Beis Hillel said to Bishamay, why do you distinguish between foods, liquids, and earthenware utensils on the one hand that are protected by an earthenware vessel from becoming tummy, and non-earthenware vessels on the other hand which are not protected? What's the difference between those two things? So Amr Beishamai, Beishamai said to Beishamai, Because the utensil that you're trying to have protect other utensils from becoming ritually impure is already tummy on account of an Amaretz. They include tummy Chodzitz. And a vessel which is itself tummy cannot be chodzid, cannot interpose between a corpse and things that are tar to protect them from becoming tommy. Beishamai say to Beis Hillel, you agree with us, Beis Hillel, that a cheres, an earthenware utensil, can only protect things from becoming tommy when the utensil itself is ritually pure, is tar. But here, the Beishamai say to Beis Hillel, we're dealing with the utensils of an Amaretz. We're dealing with an earthenware utensil of an Amaretz, of someone who's not particular about the laws of Tumah and Tara. And on a rabbinic level, we assume that the utensils of an Amaretz, of a person who's ignorant in these laws and not particular about them, are tummy. 
And therefore, since we have a rabbinic instruction to assume that the utensil is Tomei, how can you allow the utensil that is earthenware to protect other utensils from becoming ritually impure if the utensil itself is on a rabbinic level assumed to be impure? Now what does Beis Hillel say? Beis Hillel says, look, even though there is a rabbinic rule that we have to assume that the utensils of an Amoritz are impure, that does not prevent this utensil that is a klicheres, that is earthenware, from protecting other things from becoming tummy. Since we don't know for sure that it's ritually impure, we just assume on a rabbinic level that it's ritually impure because it was owned by an Amoritz, by someone who's ignorant of these halachas. Therefore, it doesn't lose its ability to protect other things from becoming tummy. So this is what Beishamai said to Beis Hillel. Beishamai said to Beis Hillel, how can you allow this earthenware utensil to protect things from becoming tummy when it itself is assumed to be ritually impure? And we have a biblical rule that if something is ritually impure, it cannot prevent other things from becoming tummy. And since we, on a rabbinic level, assume that the kale and the utensils of an Amaretz should be assumed to be ritually impure on a rabbinic level, so therefore the, the earthenware utensil loses its ability, Beishamai said to Beis Hillel, to protect other things from becoming Tommy. And Beis Hillel disagreed with that assertion. So Amr and Beis Hillel, Beis Hillel replied to Beishamai. They said, wait a minute. If you're assuming, Beishamai, that this is a utensil that is ritually impure on a rabbinic level because it belongs to an Amaretz, and you've assumed, Beishamai, that such a utensil cannot protect things from becoming ritually impure, but you yourselves, Beishamai, you did say that this earthenware utensil does protect some things from becoming Tommy. You said yourselves, Beishamai, that it protects food and drinks from becoming ritually impure. So how can you say both things at the same time? How can you say on the one hand it doesn't prevent non-earthenware utensils from becoming ritually impure, and yet it does prevent food and drink from becoming ritually impure? How can you have it both ways? If you assume that this utensil is ritually impure because it belongs to an Amaretz, and you assume that it cannot protect things from becoming ritually impure, then how can you differentiate between food and drink that it does apparently protect them from becoming impure, and non-earthenware utensils which it does not protect from becoming impure? How do you rationalize that differentiation? So Amrulem Beishamai, Beishamai replied to Beishila, When we said that the food and drink inside the earthenware utensil can be protected from becoming ritually impure, it was only for the Amarits himself that we declare them to be Tahar. In any event, a Chover, someone who's particular about these laws, is anyway going to not have food and drink from the Amarits. Because the Chover is anyway going to assume that any food that's given to him from an Amarits is ritually impure. And therefore, when we say that the food of the Amarits is Tahar, it's only the Amarits himself who we're allowing to eat them, but not a Chover. But when it comes to the non-earthenware utensils that are protected by this earthenware, we, should, we can't allow those to be considered ritually pure because it's not only the Amaretz that that will impact. It will also impact a Chover who might borrow those utensils from an Amaretz. So Beishamai says to Beis Hillel, we need to prevent, protect the Chaverim. If we're going to say that this utensil does not really provide protection from things to things from becoming ritually impure, we only need to focus on the non-earthenware utensils because a chaver might borrow those from an Amaretz. But when it comes to food and drink, if we say that they are protected by this utensil that's earthenware, 
that's not going to impact Chaverim anyway, because they're anyway not going to borrow, not going to take that food from an Amaretz. Because anyway, they would never accept food, as we said already in previous Shurim, from an Amaretz. So we're only saying that the earthen utensil will protect food and drink from becoming Tameh for the Amaretz himself, so that we're willing to live with. But when it comes to non-earthen utensils, if we declare them to be ritually pure, then maybe a Chaver will borrow those utensils from an Amaretz and will be a Michshol, will have created a stumbling block for the Chaver because he'll have borrowed the utensils from the Amaretz and yet those utensils will not be ritually pure. Now we're going to have to hold it here but you can see the beginnings of the question. The Gemara has demonstrated that actually sometimes a Chaver would borrow utensils from an Amaretz. So the Gemara is going to suggest that we should be concerned about that. That even though a Chaver would never accept Truma from an Amaretz, he would borrow utensils from an Amaretz. And therefore, we should be concerned about such a scenario even in cases beyond Kodesh, even beyond sacrificial food, even for Truma, we should be concerned that a Chaver will borrow utensils from an Amaretz. We're going to hold it for today. I wish you a very good day.